0: What's going on, guys? Stans, we're here for the Wacom Auto family. They can get your credit turned around the way they turn mine around with Wakem's Credit Amnesty. If you're worried about your credit holding you back on a new car, it doesn't have to. You bring home just $350 per week, Wakem can get you pre-approved for as much as $30,000 in automotive credit. Find Wakeem online at wakeem.com. It's W-A-I-K-E-M.com. There's no hard credit pool there. No social security number required either. Just a couple of easy questions. Save you some time later on at the dealership. Let's get you in a new ride and get your loan approved at wakeem.com.
1: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Paranormal Stakeout. I'm your host, Larry Lawson, coming to you as usual from the mothership of paranormal programming, the X-Zone Broadcast Network www.xzbn.net Folks, I was uh, you know, prepping for tonight's show and was fortunate enough to hear an interview with a gentleman that absolutely fascinated me and on the spot I knew had to have him on Paranormal Stakeout. So it's a real pleasure to introduce to the Paranormal Stakeout family Dr. Albert Taylor. Dr. Taylor is a number one Los Angeles Times best-selling author former aeronautical engineer, scientist that worked on the International Space Station. Dr. Taylor has spent two and a half decades evaluating systems, system designs on a wide variety of top secret government programs, such as the F-117A stealth fighter and the Strategic Defense Initiative Anti-Ballistic Missile Program, otherwise known as Star Wars. Dr. Taylor was born and raised in Southern California. He's currently a paranormal researcher international lecturer and speaker. He is also working on his latest book, Journey of the Cosmic Soul, a detailed scientific and spiritual study resulting from over 20 years of -of out-of-body paranormal and astrophysical research. Beyond that, he is a robotics expert and has been designing and building fully and semi-autonomous robotic probes to support his ongoing research of various types of paranormal phenomenon. His uh, website www.alberttaylor.com. He's also the author of Soul Traveler. Dr. Taylor, welcome to Paranormal Stakeout.
3: Thank you, thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah, I, I was just really fascinated by your um, your philosophies and your take on the paranormal. What I'd, I'd like to give uh, my listeners an idea, a little bit about you. How did you give me some of the background of your uh, government programs and some of the things you've been involved in, if you could?
3: Well, um, let's say I have to, since uh, since I'm going to go way, way back to the beginning, I have to say that everything started at five years old. And I was having some paranormal experiences at five years old, which led up into my adult life. Now, I'll skip ahead to, because we'll get back to that, but I'll skip ahead to the professional aspect of my life. I've always been interested in things that uh, fly, I mean, with flu. Um, since I was a um, little kid, I mean, so at 17 years old, I joined, I enlisted in the United States Air Force. And I, I passed the uh, test for nuclear physics and a, a few other things, but what my real interest was aer- aeronautics. So I I um, en- enlisted and, and and got a job in aeronautical engineering. And they sent me to tech school in Texas, and the next thing I knew, I got out of tech school, and I was in Arizona where um, um, a crew chief ended up in Arizona as a crew chief on the Lockheed U-2, which, uh, which this was the, um, you know, if you remember the old uh, missile crisis, um, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, that Gary was, Powers, uh, yeah. Yeah, with Francis Gary Powers, he was flying a U-2C. And I got a ch- I was a crew chief on the U-2R, which is the blacker one with longer wings, and you're probably more familiar with that one than the U-2C. So um, um, I continued to go to school while I was in the Air Force, and because I had a secret clearance because you can't work on the U-2 without one, um, and I was also um, studied on um, Skunk Works aircraft because that's what the U-2, and I was in the same squadron as the SR-71 which is still the fastest aircraft in the world, we were, um, we were both from Skunk Works. With my experience from Skunk Works, as soon as I got an honorable discharge from the United States Air Force, I got, uh, I like to say, I was lucky enough to work on, but it felt almost like I was snatched up by Lockheed Skunk Works in Burbank. And I immediately got brought in and I already had a clearance, and they upgraded my clearance, and the next thing I know, I was on the design team of the stealth fighter, and no one even knew about the stealth fighter back then. Um, I think uh, Jimmy Carter accidentally mentioned the stealth fighter, and Russia launched two satellites to spy on us in Burbank, but other than that, no one ever had ever seen a picture of it. So I worked on that for quite a while on different components there, and um, I wanted to, um, to move on to space systems So I I transferred from there, and I went to um, Rockwell International, where I worked on um, Strategic Defense Initiative, which is was uh, President Reagan's Star Wars program. Different particle beam weapons, uh, uh, sensing uh, radar, uh, sensing uh, satellites, and also since I was the only maintainability Mm -hmm. logistics engineer there at the facility, I also got a chance to work on a new project they were working on, which ended up being called now today GPS. So ah. I was working on GPS for uh, the military, which we never we had, had no idea when, when I was working on GPS that it mm-hmm. would eventually be used by civilians. And I even used it in my car all the time. <laughs> so all I had do. no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. So I was working on GPS. Um, my job was to work, uh, we have, uh, there's 25 uh, vehicles uh, orbiting the earth right now. My job was to make sure that they were maintainable in case that uh, we wanted to dock the shuttle or bring the shuttle up there and snatch one out of the sky and, 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 and uh, refurbish it. So that was my job. I, I got to um,
2: I I interrupt you here, my friend. Sorry to do this, but uh, in just a second here, we got to take our, our first break. But uh, okay. I want everybody out there to hang with us. Uh, I'm with Dr. Albert Taylor, a scientist, author. Uh, expert in uh, out-of-body experiences, so stay with us, we'll be back with you on the other side.
1: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media,
5: With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at SongsAndStoriesForSoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to Paranormal Stakeout tonight. We've got Dr. Albert Taylor, an uh, aeronautical engineer, scientist, paranormal researcher. Uh, Doc, just before the break, we kind of uh, kind of interrupted you there. Finish your, your background. I want to hear more about your, your experience with the, the government.
3: Let me say I, I was on um, the FDI and GPS, and I was wor- working on other satellite systems. Some of them we called hangar queens because they never got launched. We missed the launch windows. Uh, so some exploratory satellites I worked on a, a little bit. And then um, because I was uh, having... And now I have to back up and go back to five years old. I've been having paranormal spiritual experiences happening to me all my life. And because they began to go from happening sometimes like once a week, they, when I was working on the, the uh, satellite systems, I was still in DOD, Department of Defense. Um, I started having experiences three times a night. And those experiences literally changed my perspective on how I, where, how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. So I left the uh, Department of Defense programs at uh, Seal Beach, where GPS and all that was built, and I transferred over to um, McDonnell Douglas, where they were building um, the space station. And um, I think uh, um, President Clinton um, came in and he asked us to redesign the space station, and that's part of the program, the phase that I got into, and my job was to make sure that the astronauts could, first of all, assemble the space station and use the various tools that they would use on orbit and make sure they were tethered to the spacesuits so they didn't fly away. Also, my job was to make sure that they could maintain the uh, certain components of the space station after it was um, in orbit and functioning, and so I was responsible for the airlock, which they used to go out into space, EVA, mm-hmm. the extravehicular activity. I was also responsible for the command and control node, which um, all the, the HAB module and everything, it's, the little, it's like a little Lego that everything plugs to. Mm-hmm. Um, it has uh, computer stations in there. I was also responsible for the cupola, which attaches to the top of the node, which you see all the, the astronauts inside of these, this eight-windowed kind of a, a, a viewing port that they can look out at the Earth. And um, I worked on that, uh, and I also I flew to Johnson Space Center, and I would train astronauts in that big pool that the uh, Apollo astronauts used to train in
2: right. for
3: the Apollo missions. I tried, trained them in assembly uh, of the space station and evaluated the time. And um, the thing about it is while this was happening, I was having uh, just an unbelievable amount of paranormal spiritual experiences.
2: Okay. I, and I've got to stop you right here and ask. What kind, of, what kind of paranormal experiences? Because it, well, it covers a wide variety.
3: Yeah, it does. Well, I didn't, and I, and I didn't know, I would never have used the word paranormal at the time, because I didn't know that's what it was. Matter of fact, the only thing I knew about what was happening to me is I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would it's been happening since I was five or four even, and I would feel paralyzed. I could see the room, I could hear, but I couldn't move my physical body. And sometimes while I was in that paralysis state, and this would happen after going to, to bed and falling asleep and then waking up into it, sometimes when I was in that, in that state, I would see humanoid shadows moving around my room and some, sometimes actually next to my bed calling my name. I mean, I could actually hear my name being called. And at five years old, I have to tell you, I was terrified. And it did I, every, it took everything I could to struggle just to move, and finally, when I could move, I'd jump out of my bed and and run out of the room, and my grandmother lived with us at this time at that time, and I'd run into her room and I'd tell her, grandma, grandma, there was something by my bed, I was paralyzed and I couldn't move, and it was calling my name, and she said, "Oh, that's okay, baby." she said, that was just the witch coming to steal your soul because you were bad yesterday Oh, that <laughs> so, oh, okay. was terrifying <laughs> <to> my <laughs> <laughs> that was my grandmother's bedside manner. So Nila and she, she said, "Now go back to bed." And and she, they sent me back to bed, terrified now that something was coming to steal my soul. That's the superstition that my grandmother grew up with, my mother grew up with, and to this day they still talk about that. So the I um, as an engineer scientist. I couldn't accept that, you know, working on a space station. So I decided to go to the doctor, and I I went to a psychiatrist, I went to a, a neurologist, and I and I told him some of the symptoms I was having, and I figured it was some type of neurological problem. I didn't think of any. I wasn't looking for the paranormal. I wasn't looking for my soul. I wasn't looking for any religious experience at all. I was looking to fix this with some something. Something that the doctor could help me with, or I was looking to blame it on my parents, because it was genetic, <laughs> and so I was looking for some type of answers. Um, and I got a full uh, clean bill of health, uh, physically, mentally, everything. Um, so I thought, well, this has been happening to me all my life, and it happens to other people in my family, so it may not be necessarily a defect. It's something hereditary, I was thinking. So what I decided to do is I decided to perform experiments on myself. I, I, it kept happening, and sometimes, like I, was, I mentioned, three times a night. So I decided to document everything I could about the, the experience um, while I was going through it. And I set up a 10-day a period that I was going to do nothing but analyze and research this phenomenon, this defect, neurological mm-hmm. defect. So the first day, I began to write this down, and, and I had no idea – um, uh, Larry, I was not, I never set out to write a book. I was keeping a journal, a diary, and I wasn't going to share it with anybody. Uh, um, I figured I was maybe going to go crazy, and one day they were going to find me drooling and babbling in the corner with a straitjacket, and my journal, diary, was going to be laying next to me, and somebody could figure out how I got there. That's, that's pretty much, much all I thought. I had no idea that that diary was going to become my book. And I really had no idea that it was going to become a number one Times bestseller. That none of that was in my planning. I figured I would live and die as an engineer, scientist, and in aerospace. I wasn't thinking of doing anything that I do presently. Well, right. Well, well, That's ten days. Go okay, go on.
2: No, uh, as a scientist, you're you're obviously. Uh, in tune with the scientific method of research and, and documentation. Mm-hmm. How, how did you document these events as they occurred to you? What was your method?
3: Oh, um, every I, everything. I, I the time I woke up, the time I ate, my mood that day, my activities that day, physical, mental, um, the the type of stress that I dealt with, and what time I ate dinner that night, and what time I went to bed. Those were the type of things I was documenting. Um, And what I was looking for is I was looking for a pattern. I was looking for something that occurred um, on the nights that I was having these experiences so that I could try to replicate it and induce it rather than stumble uh, upon it or it happening to me randomly like it was because I didn't have any control at that time. So I – and I I really didn't know where this was going to end up. I was just trying to understand something and maybe get some answers. But I had no idea that the first night – now, this is some of the symptoms, and a lot of people out there have these things. And this is why it's so important um, for me to share this with people because a lot of people are afraid, like I was, is that – and I had no idea these were part of the experience. Um, One of the things I would do is I would fly in my dreams. And not only would I fly in my dreams, but I would be uh, lucid and know that I'm dreaming. Um, At five years old, I didn't know the term lucid dreaming, so I would tell my mother. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. This is television. Uh, (laughs) um, I would tell my mother, Mom, I wake up in my dreams. That's all I – as a five-year-old, that's how I could describe it. And what Uh I meant was I would be in the dream, and something strange would happen that I would question, and that would bring me to uh, an awareness. And the awareness was that the dream material didn't disappear, but only th- what changed was that I knew that it was a dream, and then I could interact with the dream material and actually change the dream or fly away or do whatever I wanted to. I was in total control of the dream after I became aware. And this would happen all the time, and it still happens all the time. And, and so that was part of it and the flying in my dreams. And another thing is when I would lay down at night, and sometimes while waking up uh, after taking a nap, I was vibrating like the bed was shaking. And you know, living in California, that happens to us all the time. But that's not what I I was experiencing. I, experiencing. I was experiencing a vibration, and uh, that was part of it. And so we had the paralysis, we had the vibration, we had the flying in my dreams, and and having lucid dreams, and we had and I had, was having something appear in my room and touch me. So all of those things for a while were disconnected until I started keeping this journal and documenting this, and I realized that all of these things were happening on the same night, and certain things were happening um, repeatedly uh, on the the nights that I was having three experiences. Sometimes I'd have one, but on some nights I would have three episodes, meaning that I would be paralyzed and then I would have a lucid dream experience, and then that would end, and then I would be paralyzed again. I'd wake up, and I'd be paralyzed again. So this went on repeatedly. But the <laughs> thing is, is that um, I didn't know this was real. I didn't know this had anything to do with the real world. Like I said, I, I really thought it was a dream. So at work, at space station, I went to one a friend of mine, and I felt very comfortable with her, and I shared with her, I'm having the strangest experiences at night. And I described them to her, and she told me that she, she heard about this doctor who had had a near-death experience uh, and written a book about it, and she was lecturing at a local college, and that I should go in, and talk to her. So I went to – I took this doctor's class, and I was sitting there listening to the class. And remember, I'm skeptical. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Right. And she says, how, how many people in this room is, have ever felt paralyzed at night? And, Larry, I was shocked because I'd never heard anybody outside of my family who would ever mentioned it. I didn't know it even happened to people outside of my family. And, I, th- you know, I thought it we was something strange about us. And I, my, my hand raised, I raised my hand up in the air, and I was waving around. I said, it happens to me all the time, and it ha- happens to me three times a night. And she was the first person that pointed to me, and she said, you may be having out-of-body experiences. And I laughed at her because I thought, I, I said, I don't believe in that stuff. And she said, this chain, this was profound to me. She said, you can't tell me what you don't know. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, that sounds like a challenge to me. So I said, you know, it's really easy for me to look into this because it's happening to me all the time. So I went home, and she said, I'll tell you what. If you find yourself out of your body, like in that dream state you were talking about, she said, think about me. Think about visiting me. And I said, okay, I will do that. So that night I had been working on this for a while, about three or four days, and I realized that one of the things that was part of it was getting very relaxed before I laid down, almost like um, tightening up every muscle in my body one at a time and then relaxing them. And that helped me get into the kind of a, a, a low-level vibrational dream state. And, and I realized the more I would relax, and slow my breathing, that the more the vibration would increase. And one night while this was happening, the vibration was increasing and increasing, and all of a sudden I heard a loud pop, like pow, like something, like a Mm cap. And the next thing I knew, I was out of my body, and the vibration had stopped, and there was this huge, a white wall in front of my face, a white wall, speckled wall, and I was staring at this wall thinking, what, what is going on here? And, and I realized it wasn't the wall, it was the ceiling of my okay. bedroom. And so I turned around, and I could see two people in a bed below me. And okay. I remember thinking, looking Doc, at my physical body. Doc, I gotta, I gotta put you on hold for a second. Okay. We're ready to come up on our next break.
2: Fascinating. Um, folks, you wanna hear more of this, so stay with us. Dr. Albert Taylor, be back in just a moment after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to Paranormal Stakeout. Tonight, we've got Dr. Albert Taylor. Boy, I really hated cutting you off after that last break, Doc, but uh, pick up where you left off if you could. I know everybody's dying to hear the end of this.
3: Okay, well, I, was, I turned around, and I could see two humanoid, uh, two people sleeping in a bed. And the thing about it is I didn't feel that that was me in the bed. One of the individuals, I felt like it was a suit of clothing, like something I discarded. I had no connection with it at all. I knew that wasn't me. And another thing I I remember thinking is looking at myself. I thought, Wow, I thought I was a lot better looking than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so w- while I was looking at this, all of a sudden I realized, I thought to myself, You know, this is. Uh, I I kind of panicked because. This was so out of the ordinary, uh, and the fear that, I was, uh, that was rapidly building within me seemed to be enough to, to drop me, literally, back into the body, and I felt like I was slammed in the bed, and I, I, I woke up uh, with a jolt, and I opened my eyes, and I grabbed my journal, and I turned on the light, and I started writing all of this down, thinking, oh my God, that was amazing. Well, the next night, I decided to do it again. And... I went through the relaxation, um, um, take the slow, slowing my breathing, relaxing every muscle, and the vibration started like before. And, but this time something really interesting happened. is normally, uh, I wear glasses, and normally, when I go to bed, I take off my glasses and I set them on the side of my nightstand. Well, all of a sudden, I could see while I was in this paralysis, And not only could I see the room but I was seeing it from a very odd perspective. Mm -hmm. And if I lay down in my bed physically and my television is at the end of my bed, I have to sit up in my bed or prop my pillows up so that I can see the full screen. Because if I lay completely down, half of the screen is blocked by the bottom of the bed. But from this perspective that I was looking around the room is not only could I see the entire screen of the television, I could see where the television touched the floor. And there was be no way I could do that without standing up in my bed. And another thing that, that happened is that I, don't, I didn't remember opening my eyes to look around. Like I said, suddenly I could see. And not only could I see, but everything was very, very clear. And I wear glasses, and unless I fell asleep with my glasses, that's not possible. That could not happen. So I was soaking in, okay, the perspective and, and the... The glasses and everything, and while I was kind of just floating there, taking all this in, all of a sudden, and I hadn't, this didn't enter my mind at all until it happened. All of a sudden, about three feet away from me, this humanoid, transparent figure appeared out of nowhere. I panicked, Larry. It scared the life out of me. And I don't know what it was, and all I could think about. Because, I mean, I've seen every horror movie and ghost story and Hollywood has ever made, and it never ends up good for the person experiencing it. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God, I don't know what this is. But I I thought to it, I said, I I tried to say out loud or mentally, whatever you are, please, please, just move away from me. Move away from me. And that fear, again, that I said I felt started started, uh, escalating. And it was enough to actually feel like I was sucked back into the physical body and slammed in the body, and I woke up, and I grabbed my journal, and it scared me so bad, Larry, that I went around my house turning on all the lights in the house, even turned on the light in the backyard and looked in the backyard, making sure nothing was out there, and I sat down, and I wrote all this down in my journal. And
2: this is the most profound experience you have had at this point. I oh, see. yeah,
3: completely. I didn't because I, 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 up until this point, I was thinking this was a dream. And now it was dream mixed with, with real, my real bedroom, almost like a virtual uh, reality kind of thing. So that never happened before. I had to have dreams, and dreams are dreams. But now I'm floating above the bed. I can see my room. That's all real stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the doctor, remember the doctor? So right. the next night, I thought, okay, when this happens... I remember what the doctor, she said, she said, think about me and ask to see me. So that next night after this happened, I did the relaxation routine that I was working on for the last few days. And, I, and, it's, uh, and meditation works out there, too. Some people are so fortunate where they don't have to go through all the process that I do that they can do meditation and they can project. But um, I hadn't gotten to that point. Um, and still kind of difficult now. I have to do a lot of other stuff, uh, relaxing. So I did that, and I found the bed started vibrating. Um, all of a sudden I could see. Um, I was floating. And oh, this was really interesting, Larry. Is I thought I had my head on my headboard, leaning against my headboard on my pillow, and then all of a sudden I could feel the headboard sliding downward, like it was moving down through the floor. But it wasn't moving down. I was moving up. It was a really, really strange sensation. And while I was moving out I thought to myself, okay, I want to see the doctor. I want to see, and I thought about her. And this kind of startled me. All of a sudden, I felt hands, two hands, like somebody was there. I couldn't see them. Like two hands grabbed me, one on each arm, and pushed me toward the window. And as I went to the window, actually went through the window, and it, it was kind of like you remember when you were a little kid I don't know if you ever did as I did and, you were, and your mom would fill up your, your bath with bubbles and you know, like, Mr. Bubble. and you could put, poke, poke your finger through the bu- bubble, but it wouldn't pop. it would just adhere to the skin, and you yeah. could actually go inside. That's what the glass felt like. It was really strange, going through it, like it was kind of a bubble kind of thing. Uh, the next thing I knew, I was flying high above um, uh, a neighborhood. Uh, my neighborhood, um, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I'm gonna, ex- I want to experiment. So I thought I want to fly faster, and all of a sudden, and I did. And I thought I want to fly higher, and and I did. But the thing I noticed is I wasn't in control of the direction. I could go fast and and high, but I seemed to be pointing towards heading somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, um, this these hands that I couldn't see, dropped me off in front of this. This uh, um, oh no! It's I started. I remember I I was coming down and um, I was looking at the rooftop of this neighborhood I hadn't hadn't been to, and I thought for a moment I was going to crash into the rooftop. And then when I got to the rooftop, actually penetrated the rooftop, and I was coming down through the attic, and I could see wires and insulation and all that. And then after I entered into this room that was below that, I was in this bedroom that I had never been to. And I was looking around, and I noticed that the doctor – now, I'm still thinking this is a dream – the doctor that I wanted to see was laying in the bed. And I knew she was married, but I didn't know that her and her husband slept in two different beds. Mm -hmm. And now, not only was another – her husband, I assume, was sleeping in another bed, he was sleeping way on the other side of the room, quite a ways away from her. And I thought, okay, if I'm really here, that's a good thing to remember. And another thing, I looked at her, and I noticed that on her leg, there was a big white – it looked like a cast to me, like she had broken her leg on her knee. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's a good thing to remember if I'm really here. And I rarely tell this part of it, but I did mention it in the book. All of a sudden, something brilliant, a humanoid, brilliant humanoid, (laughs) appeared near her head, near the top of the pillow by the, the doctor. And it scared me because I, I, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's the two of us, the three of us, and then now there's a fourth person, and that terrified me. And I thought, okay, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back. And um, I felt like these hands grabbed me again. The room literally rushed away from me at an incredible rate of speed. And the next thing I knew, boom, I felt like I dropped from the ceiling into my bed and into my body, and I, I, I woke up with a start, and I grabbed my journal, and I turned on the lights again, and I wrote all this down.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, this this happened. Uh, go ahead.
2: No, 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 no. Go ahead. I, I, you're writing down in the journal. Have you? Did you ever do anything like um, audio or videotape any of your night sessions? Just out of curiosity.
3: Um. No. No. Because this this was a long time ago. I mean, I uh. wrote my book in '96. No, in the early 90s. Okay. And I, as a matter of fact, I still have the pencil diary. Pen, I wrote it in pencil. I still have <laughs> it. So, no, no, I was, and, and, I, and I was keeping a journal. I wasn't really thinking of, uh, that I was doing, you know, legitimate research. I, like sure, sure. Like I said, sure. Larry, I didn't want to, I wasn't going to show anybody this. It was yeah, not something is, anybody was going to see. Uh, this I is thought. just
2: to prove that you, whether or not you were, you were having some sort I, of breakdown or something, I
3: guess. I, I was trying to make sense of something I didn't understand and, and, and in the beginning had no control of. That's all. I just wanted to – and I really – and I was kind of thinking because when you're in the night and the paralysis, those people who have felt it out there, it doesn't feel good. Sometimes you feel like you can't breathe. Sometimes you feel like there's a weight on your chest. Sometimes you feel like something's pressing you in the bed. It can be – if you don't know what it is, it's frightening. And and my only explanation was that it was you know, witches were sitting on my chest to, to punish me. So, you know, it, it I wanted it to end. I didn't want it to, to continue.
2: Well I gotta know. Did the you obviously took this information to the doctor. What did you find out?
3: Well, this experience happened on a Saturday. Her okay. class was on Monday. I couldn't wait to see her on Monday. So I'm sitting in the class on Monday and she, uh, I, I wanted to interrupt the class, so I waited till the break. And during the break, I went over to her and I said, "Doc, I said I had another one of those experiences this weekend." And she said, "You know, it's really interesting that you would say that because I had a dream that you were standing at the foot of my bed on Saturday night." And I thought, "That is that a coincidence?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, I said I had a." experience that I was standing there and I said and I'm thinking because she said come visit me it was just you know That's what facilitated the dream And I it was you know willful thinking on my part and I created the environment That's what I was thinking and I said to her and I looked at her leg and her legs lo- her leg looked fine to me And I said well in my dream you had a cast on your leg and, and you look fine she says she said, no, but, you know, I sleep with a, a heating pad, a white heating pad wrapped around my leg because I have arthritis in my knee, and it makes it feel better. Uh-huh. And I thought, coincidence. And I was, I was really surprised. I was like, what is going on here? And then I said to her, I said, you know, I know you were, you're married, but in the room I was in, you and your husband sleep in two different beds, and he was way on the other side of the room. And she said, yeah. She said, you know, my husband has sleep apnea. And because he snores and, and he keeps me up all night, he sleeps way well on the other side of the room so I can get some sleep. And I thought, oh, my God, what, really what is this going on here? Yeah. And so I went home and I sat there thinking, is this real? Is, and, and I thought, if this is real, what is, what is, it, what is, is it that can do these things in, in humans? What, what are we? And I started looking more than just, you know, I just thought of us as, you know, humanoid you know, a species of ape, you know, an advanced species of ape, that's pretty much it, a, hominoid, a hominid. Nothing special about us, not versus a chimpanzee, and think of soul or, soul or some type of consciousness, consciousness beyond the body, but because this was happening, I thought, there's something going on, so I went to my friend who originally told me about um, the doctor at space station, and she said, If you can leave your body, she said, why don't you come visit me? She said, you don't know where I live. You've never seen my place. That would be a great experiment. And I said, okay, I'll try it tonight. So I went home. I think this was about the sixth night in a row that I was uh, researching this and practicing it. Uh, To make a long story short, I left my body the same way I'd been. And the skills that I had been slowly developing, the techniques and, I
2: say. And, and you know what, Doc? And I'm going to have to interrupt you again because we're getting close to the next break. I want you to finish the story when we get back, but also I want to talk to you a little about, a bit about your view of ghosts, as okay. well as um, your view of the paranormal field and where you think we're going in paranormal research. So sounds good. When we get back from this last break, folks, stay with us. More fascinating stuff to come. Got Dr. Albert Taylor. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies, from new releases to old classics, TV shows, almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you.
2: Welcome back folks this final segment of paranormal stakeout tonight and man it's been a, a terrific interview with Dr. Albert Taylor I just wanted to remind you of his website www.alberttaylor.com he's the author of Soul Traveler and he's got a second book coming out soon a Journey of the Cosmic Soul so I invite you to check out his website and check out his uh, his books also want to remind you check out other terrific broadcast programs on the exome broadcast network at www.xzbn.net for all the programming schedule would also like to remind you to come check me out visit me at www.paranormalstakeout.com you can also get me at www.paranormalfbi.com check out our facebook for my team florida bureau of paranormal investigation uh Dr. Taylor, we've just got a few minutes. and We got so much to cover and like uh, I told you at the break, we're going to be rescheduling uh, you real soon to finish up the second half of this conversation. But uh, finish out you your, your last when we broke, you were telling us your your workmate had I said come on over and visit me if you're able to do this right. And That's where you're heading. So go ahead and finish that story and then I got some other things I want to ask you.
3: Well, um, I came out of the body like before, the vibration, the, the paralysis. Um, And One of the things I discovered is that um, if I could focus my thought, like saying, I want to float upward, I actually could. Um, I want to move toward the window, I actually could. So that was something I discovered, it was really, really important for me not to be distracted by the phenomenon, because it was so amazing just doing it period, I could sit there and float for hours above my body in the bedroom. So I had to focus, that was really important. Um, I focused my thought on on my friend, which I mentioned in the book. I can mention her name because it's in the book. Her name is Kim. Um, And uh, I felt the hands again. I couldn't see anything, felt the hands, went through the window like before, flying really fast, experimented with that a little bit, and speed and the altitude. The speed was incredible. I've been on a lot of aircraft, worked on a lot of aircraft, designed a lot of aircraft. The speed was phenomenal. It was unbelievable, nothing like I'd ever experienced before. Um, and this time was really interesting I, I I found myself being dropped off, I like to say because you 're floating i float float it was like floating down to the street, and I was dropped off in front of this apartment building and this is something I found out um, by this is i couldn 't remember where I was going, uh, and there 's a reason for that. I skip ahead because You don't have access uh, without a, a great deal of concentration to your organic memories in your brain. The things that are stored in your brain, you don't have. Access to that is very difficult to gain access to that because it's a, a lot of it is trivial. It doesn't matter to you in that state of consciousness. So I had to struggle to remember what did I want to do. And I remember, oh, yeah, I want to visit my friend. And when I said that, I felt the hands grab me and move me up to the second floor and through the wall of this apartment building. And the next thing I knew, I was in like a dining room. And I remember there was a huge chandelier in the dining room. And I thought, okay, if I'm really here, that's a good thing to remember. And I moved down the hallway, and, and the mobility was really strange, too, because I wasn't really walking. It was kind of like sliding, like Gumby used to do in the old cartoons.
2: Yeah.
3: And I was moving down the hallway, and I moved. There was a three three doors two on the, the left, one on the right. And I moved into that, the one on the right was open. And I moved into that room, and it was a bedroom, and I remember thinking there was twin beds, and the window was in an odd uh, corner of the wall. It wasn't in the, between the two beds. It was in the corner. And I looked out the window, and I could see a telephone pole half-blocking the window, and I thought, well, that's a stupid place to put a window. And I looked down below, and there was an alley and trash cans. And I thought, okay, if I'm really here, this is something good to remember. But then I started feeling like an astral cat burglar, like I shouldn't be there. We and call I thought, it okay,
2: stalker I, in our business, but, you know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that, I, I'm, without any pre- people there, I'm not a stalker, I'm a burglar. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember pushing out through the window like I've done before, and I was floating literally above the alleyway, maybe about second floor. And I thought, how do I get back home? And I saw the street sign, and I floated over to the street sign. I'm about eye level, and I'm looking at the street sign, and this is something else I, I figured out, is that I could not read the street sign. It looked like hieroglyphics. I mean, it wasn't scrambled. It probably was written in English, but it didn't make any sense, and I, it was trivial to the consciousness that I was occupying at that time. And So I thought, okay, I want to go home. I want to go home. I felt the hands grab me. Um, the extreme acceleration like before, and boom, I was slammed in my body. I woke up and I wrote all of this down. The next day, I went to work and I went to my friend Kim and I said, This is what happened to me. And I said, I found myself in this dining room. And she said, I said, There was this huge chandelier, big, too big for the room. And she said, You know, I bought a chandelier at the swap meet and it was for my new house. But it's so pretty, I put it up in the chandelier, and I put it up in my dining room, and it's way too big for the dining room. I thought, okay, coincidence. And I said, the third bedroom in the back, I said, I went in the back, and there's an odd window in the corner. And she said, I don't know why they put that corner over there, because half of it is blocked by a telephone pole. Uh And I thought, oh, my God. And I said, there's an alleyway out there. And I said, Kim, you have to do this. You have to send me a layout of your apartment. She drew me a layout of the apartment. And by this time, I had already written down in, in, in my diary how, the dimension of what I saw. And she sent me a, 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 a copy of her apartment layout, and it matched what I had described in my diary perfectly. And, Larry, it, it all shocked me and devastated me because I thought, oh, my God. What are we that we can do these amazing things? I wasn't thinking about just me. I was thinking because I knew people in my family could do it if they weren't afraid, but I thought, oh, my God. And then I started thinking, is do we, you know, I'm, I grew up in Catholic school, um, I was a Catholic. I call myself a recovering Catholic now, <laughs> but they always told us we had a soul, and it was like a baseball in your pocket that you take to the priest once in a while, and he would clean it for you, and you'd, you'd go home with the, the soul in your pocket. That's what I was taught, but I thought to myself, maybe we are these souls. Where We are a soul, and it's not something we have. It's something that we are, and that's well, what prompted my story and my launch me into pursuing this this uh, amazing uh, part of my life.
2: And, and amazing it is. And you know, you, you it's a great description because one of the things I want to ask you before our time's over tonight is, what is your opinion of what a ghost is? Then
3: um, ghost- in my research, um, I, um, we don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm a member of the International Association of Near Death Studies. I've been a member for 20 years plus. Um, I like to say some of my best friends have died and come back. Um, and and um, one of the things that I, t- I talked to this little boy, was seven years old, and one of the things he said to me is, we are the ghosts. And that, that that's the difference. And I had some paranormal experiences, some body experiences with deceased relatives too, so we haven't gotten to that, but maybe we'll get to it on the, your next show. But the thing is, is what I realized is that through one of these experiences with my deceased aunt, is that I'm no different from her except I have a physical body to come back to. So I, ghosts aren't something abnormal. They're not something that go, come and, comes and goes through portholes. They're not locked away somewhere. They're here all over the place. And I, I always tell people, if you have an out autobiography experience, and you go into the astral plane or you leave your physical body and you're afraid of spirits. That's like going into the ocean and being afraid of fish. That's where they are.
2: So what you're what you're suggesting theoretically is that spirits or ghosts that are seen by us are either folks uh, involved in out-of-body experiences or just the f- roaming free spirits of those that have passed. If I is that close?
3: Well, well, no, yes and no. Um, from my paranormal uh, investigations, I've run – I call it phenomena. I don't use the word ghost. Uh, I okay. call it a phenomena or anomaly. Um, and, and the anomalies I've, I've run into are either interactive, which I think that you could categorize if you wanted to use the word ghost. Interactive, that means I ask a question or it, it, and it answers or it sees me, acknowledges me, that kind of thing. Then there's just images. That repeat uh, behavior that they may have done in, um, in, in their life. And that's the thing is that through my out of body experiences, I, I had an, um, the outside of my body was an astral body, if you want to use that word, means of the stars. I was able, through practice and over a period of time, to actually leave that astral body behind and travel as something else that's inside of that body. So that, that, uh, re- that image that people can sometimes photograph and see repeating these, these behaviors, that's the astral image. That's the astral mm-hmm. form. It doesn't, it doesn't last long and may deteriorate over a long period of, a period of time. But that's that astral, that's that suit, suit of clothing that the spirit identity, spirit consciousness used to occupy.
2: Well, let me ask you this question, and, and I'm hoping we have enough time to answer. We've only got a couple of minutes there are so many different theories by folks that are mediums or sensitives clairvoyants what, whatever that none of none of these stories seem to uh, always jive. they don't they don't always seem to be the right. same why do you think right. that
3: is it's this is the, probably the most frustrating thing i have experienced in my research of the paranormal and i've been with people who are other researchers i've watched the television shows and I think that they're, they're um, stuck. They're stuck on the first level or maybe the mm-hmm. second uh, level. And they're satisfied with things like EVPs or saying that this is a little girl. She wants to go into the light. And we haven't, the, the paranormal community, because nobody else is doing it, hasn't tried to piece all these things together and come up with some type of understanding uh, of what it, what it all means and why well, does it happen to us.
2: And that's the difference between investigation, ghost hunting, and research. I see that as three different areas. You know, we've only exactly. got, we got less. We've got only less than a minute left, Doc. I want to invite you back in the show very soon. I want to invite all of my listeners to come back, watch for this show to come back, and we're gonna we're gonna carry on when we get together again because there's so many other questions I want to hear more about your research and how you research, how you quantify your evidence. Um, I. I very excited to talk to you more about that. But we folks are unfortunately out of time. Dr. Albert Taylor, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I want to thank all of you folks out there for, for being with us. And come back soon for the second half of this uh, discussion we're going to have with Dr. Albert Taylor, scientist and paranormal researcher. Until then, folks, we'll see you next time on the other side. Larry Lost, Paranormal Stakeout, signing off.